All right, hello everybody, and welcome to Mike's podcast. I am Mike Gag, and I'm Mike Wu, and uh, this is Mike's podcast, <laughs> brought to you in stereo sound. Now we have two microphones. We're all fancy, right? One's <laughs> nice and cylindrical, and the other one's round. It's they're the perfect uh, primitives. <laughs> Get real close to your mic. Everyone okay. a real feel for that bass quality. <laughs> yes, I'm recovering from some bronchitis. Um, <laughs> Maybe that don't get too close to yeah, my mic no, then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we've got our our agenda for today, our list of topics. Before we begin, though, kind of wanted to talk about something uh, we meant to talk about last episode, which was our number one episode, in case you missed it, uh, which is why we're even doing this podcast. So, uh, Mike, you want to go ahead and maybe just start with your ideas? Yeah. Yeah. For me. Uh, the reason why I, I approached you with the idea uh, several weeks ago was because we always have such great conversations in the car when we're driving to some uh, gaming-related event, and I really find those conversations fascinating and wondered, you know, would anybody else uh, be interested in it? Because I know that previously, and when I was working uh, professionally, you know, I would have these kinds of conversations for six to eight hours a day, five days at least a week. And now suddenly find myself having them maybe once a month with you on a hour and a half car ride down to Columbus or something. And so I really, really missed that and was hoping that we could find a way, a reason to have these conversations more often. Because I find talking about games absolutely fascinating, really drives my imagination. It's just fun. I was, that was always what amazed me when teaching like game design and the students were like, Ugh. you know, like I've got a presenter i've got i'm like man you just get to talk about games <laughs> right you just you get to talk about games for a class and you're all like oh no man I, yeah i don't quite get that um so yeah so the reason uh i approached you about doing a podcast i'm gonna do that mm-hmm. so we never yeah. really know yeah. who started yeah. it uh is uh well you know obviously i like talking about games mm-hmm. you know i like talking about game design and the human condition and how games play and all that all that crap um also, I've been wanting to do a, a podcast actually for many years because, you know, when I'm traveling, I'm traveling and that's nice. But when I'm home, I live in my basement. I don't really have a whole lot of people to talk to. So it is nice to talk to people about games. Uh, also, me personally, I have kind of a crippling case of uh, imposter syndrome. So, <laughs> you know, you can either shy away from that challenge and be like, oh, I'll never be good enough. Or you can record yourself and put yourself on the Internet where everyone can critique you and tell you how bad you are. <laughs> and uh, it's a great chance to really test to make sure your ideas and your opinions have any real basis or if you're just kind of some schmuck or whatever. So I figured might as well, you know, record it and see if I'm really an idiot or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, my hope is that there are other people out there who are like, you know, I love games too, but I don't find myself in an area where I have that kind of community. So here are two guys with similar interests as me and I can similar listen names. to similar names and, um, uh, you know, and that they can join us in the conversation too, you know, like reminisce about their origin stories. Like how did they get into gaming? Like we talked about last sure. week. And be like, Oh yeah, I remember that's, that is what it was like. Or maybe they're, maybe they're younger than us and they're like, Oh wow, that was really different. And, you know, and sooner or later we'll hear back from our audience hopefully. And we should make it so they can actually be a part of the conversation. So yeah. um, let's actually pr- Let's pause for a second and give whoever's listening a chance to just talk to us. So wait, here we go. Really, that's interesting, rather insightful. I'm glad you shared. Thank you. Um, so now we're all kind of a part of the same wall. Um, you know, another thing I kind of wanted to say along the lines of things we didn't mention last time. You know, I did mention that I work for Unity Technologies, and I kind of wanted to just make it 
clear that for this anyway, that I'm approaching this very much from a technology agnostic position. And I'm not here to, you know, be a sales rep for Unity or anything like that, or to bash on any engine or promote anything or whatever. So, you know, my affiliations professionally aside, this is kind of a place where, you know, that's not really going to be a factor, at least for me. So I don't, if I ever say anything, and I don't want people to be like, oh, that's just because you know, you do this for a living. And really, this isn't kind of the place where, where I'm, I'm taking that. So mm. I just kind of wanted to keep it separate. Along those lines, you had mm. something you wanted to say. Yeah, I, I need to be careful because, one, I did work with a lot of uh, professionals that are currently still practicing in the industry. And I want to make sure that I don't misrepresent their efforts or their projects um, in any way. And also that, you know, it's been a while since I've been in contact with them directly working on projects. So sometimes my information is old. But in uh, terms of last week, we talked about the Oni project and I mentioned some of the struggles that the project went through. But I, what I was hoping to communicate was uh, how difficult it was for that team to succeed. And I think that they did eventually succeed and that I really want to commend the engineering team, especially uh, for coming together and figuring out, well, how are we going to solve these monumental problems? And they did come up with a reasonable solution in very short order. And they produced wonderful tools for the level designers. I created seven levels, including a training level that didn't even exist in the design document right, in yeah. three months because of the strength of the engineering team support. Uh, so I want to make sure that that's out there, especially like there was really ambitious AI for that project. There was a neural net, what they were calling mm-hmm. a neural net, uh, AI system that just never came to fruition. And this kid from New Zealand named Chris Butcher, mm-hmm. uh, who's now famous in his association with Destiny and Halo, uh, was uh, seriously a kid, mm-hmm. you know, like 19-year-old prodigy, maybe even younger than hey, that. That's, that's an adult, legally. Yeah, legally. <laughs> Getting his PhD. His PhD was Oni's... AI, I believe. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, kid from New Zealand. Just and I remember wanting to join that team because during my third job interview with them, Chris Butcher sat me down and explained to me how engines work. Mm. And even though I had been in the industry for two years, no one sat down and talked to me about how engines work in a way that hell, I still a, don't know. Yeah, as a designer, <laughs> that I could understand. Yeah. So uh, him I, and Michael Evans, I especially remember mm-hmm. having stepped up and and really did a great job in, in bringing some very difficult problems uh, yeah. to conclusion. So I want to make sure that that was clear. For what it's worth, it didn't sound to me like okay. you weren't saying yeah. that, but, you know, yeah. who knows. But uh, I, like I said, I liked that game. <laughs> I felt, you know, the game had bugs. Everyone yeah. knows that. But but for what it was, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. So at any rate, I mean, kind of blew my mind because the turn of the PlayStation 2, like when it first came out, it was like, what? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And everyone knows launch titles are generally not that much graphically better than their predecessors because mm-hmm. launch titles, they haven't, the industry hasn't had a long time to mature with the technology mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so, you know, all launch titles are prone to some issue here or there, but I enjoyed that title anyway. But uh, anyway, okay, okay. Well, fair enough yeah. what you said. Yeah, and, thanks for giving yeah. me the opportunity to make that correction. Well, it's, it's 50% your show, Mike. <laughs> right. I didn't give you nothing. You just took it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, so. How are we going to emphasize now that there's four mics? Because we got oh. two microphones and two mics. Right, right. And, and <laughs> if and we were to drink like Mike's Hard Lemonade, yeah, six of six, us, six. start an army of mics. Mike, two by two. What if we started like an army and to be in it, you had to had be named Mike? Mike. That will be our own little personal fight club. <laughs> we're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, in fact, nobody's even allowed to talk about their names. So it's just assumed their names are Mike. <laughs> just, we don't even check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But it's just understood. Your name is Mike. <laughs> when you show your ID at the door, we don't look at it. We just want to make sure you right. have an ID. Right, right. That's right. It doesn't matter what it is. Even our female members are all mm-hmm. Mike, Michael the girl. Yeah. Mika, right? It's a German female name yeah. spelled M I K E. Yeah. 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 Um, at any rate, so, okay. So, one of the things we wanted to talk about, you had shared with me an article. Um, earlier this week, actually, um, about a particular level in Halo Combat Evolved. And so the article, was it Kotaku? Yes, it turns out, I have it on my phone here, it was posted just yesterday on Kotaku. And at first I thought it must have been a mistake. Yesterday's earlier this week, I guess. Yeah, it was earlier this week, (laughs) um, literally uh, just uh, a day Mm -hmm. ago. Um, In defense of the Flood, Halo's most hated enemy. And I knew that Halo was one of your favorite games. In fact, you used to teach level design yeah. Based off of Halo well, example, and you have so. a Halo Master Chief coaster that yes, your drink is on right now that I made out of beads because I'm a <laughs> crafty geek. Um, yeah, so you have a lot more insight you're gonna mm-hmm. be able to add mm-hmm. to this. But before you start, I kind of want to add my like pittance of information mm-hmm. so that you can give actual substance to the topic later. So yeah, Halo Combat Evolved was a huge game for me as a player. Um, as a matter of fact. I don't do this anymore, and but when I used to talk at like high schools and even colleges to some extent, or even grade schools, I used to like go in and say, "Here, who here knows what a cartographer is?" And then you know, a lot of people would raise their hands and be like, "Why do you know what a cartographer is?" And someone, usually like a large portion of people, would be like, "From Halo, the silent cartographer." That was my favorite map in that game. That silent cartographer was like was like a mecca of level design. Mm-hmm. That that level, I've played that level probably more than any level of any game ever. It's the level where you start on a pelican, storm the beach. Mm-hmm. And you got your warthog on, on the yep. beach. And, and then you go inside. So I always know it as B30. <laughs> that is, that's the You've actual name. You've got your internal of, technical. Yeah, that's yeah. the name of the actual level is B30. But anyways, well, please continue. It didn't say B30 <laughs> on my screen. It said no. silent cartographer. Those came much later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the silent cartographer was like, hands down, probably my favorite level of like any game ever. Um, but besides that, my second favorite level was the library, mm-hmm. all right, which is what this article is about, what you're about to talk about. The library was this notoriously difficult level where the flood just kept coming and it was, seemed like there was no reprieve and stuff like that. And a lot of people didn't like it because of its difficulty and because of its repetition and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that actually made it like my second favorite level. I played that one a lot. As I, met, I was earlier today, I was I was mowing my lawn and I was thinking about Halo and I was trying to remember specifics about any map in the game that wasn't the silent cartographer or the library. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't think of any thing that stood out in any level besides like the multiplayer levels because mm-hmm. you played those a ton. Mm-hmm. But like except for the silent cartographer and the library, which I could pretty much remember completely and no other level could I even like – there were enemies mm-hmm. in it and – guns and that's pretty much all I remember and Halo was even as a game an interesting point for me because up until that point I had never intentionally played and beaten a game on what you would call legendary difficulty or a highest difficulty setting um, I was always the type of person that if if I had a game genie I would cheat if I had mm-hmm. cheat codes I'd do that I'd play in god mode and and you know I would never be challenged by a game, and I would just run around winning all the time. Mm-hmm. And I never quite caught on why I got bored with games so quickly; <laughs> it just never clicked. And Halo was the first game that I beat it on normal. Then I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna beat it on heroic," mm-hmm. and then I'm like, "Oh man, I'm yeah. gonna beat this on legendary." And I remember the library being just such a bastard on legendary <laughs> that it really just made me want to beat it that much mm-hmm. more. 
and you had to be disciplined and you had to like think, okay, how many bullets am I going to have? What weapons are the flood carrying? Right? Like the flood keeps dropping shotguns, but the flood, some of them explode when you shoot them up close. So I don't really want to shoot them up close. So you had to like make every bullet count. You had to make every ounce of health count. That game, you know, was before your health Mm recharge and you had the health packs and stuff. So for me, the library was an awesome level because it was so, like, you had to be perfect. You earned that win mm-hmm. as opposed to just being like, oh, I just kept hitting something and dying enough time till eventually I won. Right, There's no right. winning by right. accident uh, with that level, and I really liked it. So, um, And I did beat it, and I got, like, the special little extra cinematic when you beat it on uh, Legendary where the two guys hugged each other. Oh, right. That's right? the very end of the game. The very end right. of the game, yeah. The Johnson and the Elite. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And they throw down their guns and give yeah. each other a hug mm-hmm. right before it blows up. Um, so anyway, so that's my opinion of the library and why it sticks out to me. Now, again, you you know better than anybody, mm-hmm. right, that a lot of people hate that yeah. level. But right. I like it. That's why. So you go ahead and tell us about it, Mike. Okay. So I believe that was a C level, like a C20 was its number. I think the swamp was C10. Swamp was just before that. Mm-hmm, yep. So I had the pleasure of making the swamp. And then my next assignment on that game was the library. So I am the environment artist who created the library, uh, which is my, to my infamy. Uh, <laughs> I produced that level in conjunction with a uh, fresh level designer. His name was Tyson Green, or is Tyson Green. Uh, now he's, a, I believe, a lead designer over at uh, Bungie working on Destiny. But he was brand new to the company for Halo creating that level. Um, and none of the, I would say, the repetition and other geography problems that that level had are his fault at all. He he did the best learning the tools and creating the level as best he could. Uh, John Howard was our lead designer, and he came up with the, this, the idea of the, of the level. And I remember distinctly an argument that was going on not a, not a heated one but like a like this is serious sure. we have to figure this out impassioned impassioned like conversation between Jason Jones the project lead and John Jason was of the opinion that given how difficult production was going on the library that we should settle on a plan that were two major play spaces that were set side by side a horizontal space and just call it good now, that's because, as an engineer, he understood the engine. John thought, but thematically, you're diving into the core of the Halo structure. You, it, This needs to be a very vertical, very deep experience, and it needs to be, not that I went down 100 feet. You need to feel like you went kilometers. Mm-hmm. But I don't want you just sitting in an elevator for five minutes. You need to get out, play, go back down, down, play. You just need to keep plumbing the depths. Well, real quick. But you missed a golden opportunity to have Cortana play you Muzak while <laughs> you're on the <laughs> Maybe. I think it would have cost us money to license Muzak, so <laughs> it would have been kiboshed. Um, so anyways, John prevailed. We were going to do the four stacking, at minimum four stacking levels. Um, but I greatly increased the distance between them just to like, because like, oh my God, we can't do 10 levels of this. Mm. It, it was too difficult. And now this is the reason that's going to blow your mind. Because the Halo engine, which was basically an evolution of the myth engine and the marathon you know experience mm-hmm. that they had mm-hmm. which were 2d two and a half d games right. right um they weren't really made for us to create environment geometry that stacked on top of each other in order to compress the data it would look for vertices that were really close in the x and y coordinates i believe mm-hmm. so like well i think these are supposed to be the same x and y coordinates i'm just gonna together. make them that uh 
But if you're slightly very, you're using similar geometry modules, level after level, but they're just turn 10 degrees different from each other and you start to create this different kinking labyrinth it would say no this module i'm rotating and so breaking your world mm. and the error reporting of the of the original uh engine was error <laughs> compile even... stops yeah that's all you get yeah error some gobbledygook that even an engineer really couldn't pc tell. load letter <laughs> it was just error one line error compile stops mm -hmm. okay now what you have no idea we have no idea what's causing the problem so it was another environment artist more experienced one who said to me like this is what we're going to do we're going to literally copy because we figured out oh what it is is that if i just import one of the levels mm -hmm. it's fine if i import the next level just by itself it's fine if i stack them one on top of each other it breaks right there's an issue there so we literally copied the same level four times. It imported. Oh my God! So it's basically each layer is each the layer is the same. Copy. And now we would change one module out. Did that import? Great. We just did it. As far as okay, now it stops importing again. Tyson, here's your level. This is as far as we can take it mm -hmm. before the import breaks. Mm. And so now you understand why, like half the modules that we built can't use them. Why? Because for some reason it caused the compile to break. And you didn't have time to figure it out because you no got a deadline. Yeah. There was no error reporting, but that level is what caused us to get, I believe, on Halo Two, we got this new uh, error message that would say, "I've created for you a VRML file." Mm -hmm. Do you know what VRML is? No. It's virtual reality markup language. I think it was like basically when we were trying to do. 3d web pages back oh, in the 90s right there was something called vrml and so uh amen that really took off by the way yeah used <laughs> that because i think he knew that he could use that somehow he had that library or something he had a way sure. of accessing yeah, yeah he could create error geometry that we could then import into max and, see and it would give us an approximation either it would somehow show us the vertices or the edge or something Okay, it's actually in this area. Here's where the error is. And it, you know, generally it would get you in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be scaled like it would be like two cross polygons that were a kilometer by a kilometer mm -hmm. in length, even though your geometry was only like 50 meters by 50 meters. So it's kind of funny, but you'd mm -hmm. find the intersection of these two polygons. And that would, in fact, be, be where the, the vertex was that was causing the issue. It's and funny that go, one vertex will shut the whole yeah, thing down. You'd fix that. And so that's how we got through Halo 2 and a little bit more smoothly. And then by the time we got to Halo 3, it was much better. Mm -hmm. uh, we had real uh, error reporting by then. <laughs> three iterations. Yeah, three iterations. Finally get an output. So yeah. uh, that level was a real pain in the butt. And I remember distinctly creating um, monster closets for uh, Tyson, which were these big vents, because he was asking for ways of introducing characters into mm -hmm. the level. So there's these big gaping openings. Then I, I they did come down from the top. Yeah. And then I recall that there were dis destructible vents in the ceiling. Then I created these fun, just because I came off the Oni experience, I created these glass floors mm -hmm. that you could blow out. And that was supposed to allow AI to fall to their deaths. Mm -hmm. Because in Oni, you could, you know, um, you could grapple with characters and right. throw them over the edge of, mm -hmm. of buildings and things like that. So that kind of uh, vertical gameplay was fun for me. So I put that on sure. there. And then for a light source, uh, I created these, they looked like old school TV panels, just giant. Mm -hmm. 
curved surfaces not really knowing how they would act as light surface only only maybe like a poltergeist fuzzy staticky screen effect sure something uh by poltergeist i mean like the 1980s movies the static, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. The static screen but marcus our art director whatever, yeah. i think it was marcus our art director was just like took the geometry and he created this really cool blue plasma thing <laughs> that play over and then i made it self loom i added some other strips of self whatever yeah i was in charge of lighting the the lighting farm for all of the Halo levels, except for we should have gone Paul back Russell's. and played the level before. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Paul Russell lit his own levels, but I lit all the other levels mm-hmm. in, in the Halo games. Just the way it worked out, and our lighting farm was, I think, like twelve Xbox dev kits that, okay. that had been retired and turned into uh, the render farm for nice. Yeah. Um, so I managed that every night. Everybody had to check in their work, and I would manually send group things and send them. To the render farm, and the then farm. overnight they would run, and then I'd get them back, check them back in. This is before we had automated uh, tools yeah. to do things. Oh, so man. that's how the yeah. library uh, was basically basically built, and half the time was spent after after finally figuring out the import issues. So was what was everyone's? Out. What's everyone's big problem with it? Uh, one, I think, is the repetition, and then the sheer punishing pace. It, mm-hmm. and I think the author of this article, um, mm-hmm. let me give credit where credit is due. Yeah, it's, well, the the author wrote as you know, saying that they liked the yeah. level, but that yeah, it was punishing. The same reason that I kind of yeah. liked it, right? That you know, it's it is punishing, but yeah. that's why you play on legendary. That's yeah. why you play Dark Souls, right? You you want that like almost insurmountable challenge, right? Um, but uh, I think his his uh, name is G B Buford or Burford. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, I think I'll put he, a link to it yeah. when I post the yeah. Um, what he stated, and I agree with this, what irks people is that there is a, a very different flavor of gameplay, almost abrupt, when you reach that particular flood level. Well, because everything is, else has been outdoors, right? Very horizontal, mm-hmm. very little vertical. And it's about reading uh, the way the elite is reacting, and he's about to roll, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to... Whereas, where, um, with the flood, this particular flood, it's like level. a survival horror. Like, yeah. yeah, you've got you've got to react. In fact, I mean, if this level came out today, I think people would eat it up. Especially if oh, you yeah. made like a a horde mode, or I guess a, what well, we? horde mode exists now, or survival yeah. mode. Yeah, right? survival that's, mode. Right, that's a thing in, in Halo. Halo. You'd call it a firefight yeah. mode. If you made a firefight mode out of this, kind of, people would eat it up. But we didn't preface mm-hmm. in any way. We didn't. Um, foreshadow this in any way so people could enjoy saying i knew it was coming and here it is yeah it was just like a smack in the face four levels in i don't a know row. bam 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 and see and it, i guess a lot of people could react that way yeah. but i i always like felt it with the flood like you, when the flood so when you first fight the flood you fight a few of them but there's the flood uh-huh. you expect there yeah, to be right. a lot of them so yeah. you just keep waiting like okay i fought some i fought some more uh-huh. when is the flood yeah, going right. to happen right and in that level you're just like oh my god yeah, they're is, everywhere yeah, it's actual flood right? and you have to run and you have yeah. to hide and you have right. to pop out and pull, shoot right. a couple of them right. and yeah i you know you're right though if released today that game would be or that that level yeah. would would be like yeah, yeah. That, that would be everyone's jam and it's kind of funny how like that kind of evolution sort of happens where everyone's now like more hardcore right. or more right. difficult punish us give right. us that like iron man gameplay where we just delete our character right. if we die or whatever <laughs> right. which that's too extreme for me i'd never do that i value my time a little bit too much for that but uh yeah it, it's it is kind of funny and you know and you're talking about this re- repetitious uh, level design, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm of the opinion that there is obviously good design, level design, and bad level design, mm-hmm. and 
repetitious level design does not necessarily strike me as bad level design, especially in this case, because I don't know if I was thinking about it and I was designing a library, mm-hmm. would I make every floor different? Probably mm-hmm. not. It serves a purpose. And as long as the space serves that purpose, besides this was like, this wasn't some art installation. This was the halo ring mm-hmm. meant to nuke the entire galaxy to kill the flood. Like, it's a bit solemn. It's probably yeah. pretty basic. It's probably, you know, these are rooms and structures fit what we – so I, I don't even suppose I really would have noticed that, you know, because it's like, okay, it's a library. It's going to – go to your but, local library. Tell me yeah. how different every floor is. I would say it worked thematically because <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, you do feel like you're inside the giant machine. If you were to open up your computer, you would just see all the these components that look like just this – Cogs. This unbelievable, yeah, series of, of cogs, and your mind just boggles as to what they could all do and how do they mm-hmm. act differently and create these rich experiences that we have. So that yeah. was – so in that, in that sense, the theme – worked um what's important is that you create unique encounters mm-hmm. in it so that you feel like i understand the space and now here's how i'm going to master it um i try to make it asymmetrical if you close your eyes and remember the level the walls have a slant to yeah them. right right so that only also, in the like one wall has a slant yeah, and right. there's the alcoves in the hallways right, and right. stuff yeah if the slant was i was hoping was going to communicate to you like i'm always feeling the slant on this side so i know when i'm going forward if i get turned around in combat if i feel the slant is on the other side i know that it got turned around and that's important um yeah. it may have been a little too subtle I, the, the longer i got into game design or the subtlety game, is what's good you don't want people to like you don't want them right. to be like i'm going this way because of the slant they mm-hmm. just you want them to intuit it that's true but yeah. as the longer i've participated in in uh game design the more i've learned that i've had to repeat a certain note over and over and over again like when you go to the usability tests or play test session you'll see how different individuals read an environment mm-hmm. or all the visual cues completely differently they'll see one but not the other three um so that you want to layer these things mm-hmm. each one can be subtle but they have to in total create enough uh, so that every type of notes, person. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. And and some people might pick up on a lot of them, and maybe it becomes heavy-handed for them, but I'd rather that 90% of the audience can read the space and enjoy it yeah. than, and risk having the elite players be like a little like, oh, that's a little little over the top. You, mm-hmm. you didn't need to be that uh, concrete um, than to, to undersell it. Uh, because that was, And that was kind of one of the problems I had. Uh, what was it? Halo 4, mm-hmm. right? That was the, the first non-Bungie mm-hmm. offering. It was an enjoyable game. But one of the problems I had with the level design in that is, I mean, obviously they took a lot of marks from the original because, you know, the covenant structures and stuff. But you'd go into a hallway with four doors, no indicator of which one you go through. So you literally have to check mm-hmm. all four. And maybe I'm missing a cue. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something. Maybe I'm one of that group that mm-hmm. I missed mm-hmm. the subtle effect or whatever. But then you go through that door. And then you'd come back out, back into this hallway. And if you got turned around for even a second, you're like okay, which way did I come from? Which way am I going? Yeah. And if you went back to the door you just came, still you didn't really notice because the next room kind of looked the yeah. same. And, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, so you you have to provide enough of a clue, you know, and maybe the slant was enough, maybe it wasn't, mm-hmm. whatever. But you also could just walk towards the endless stream of the flood yeah. <laughs> to let right. you know if you were progressing. Right. And that's actually an interesting point, that environment artists often work sometimes a week, two weeks, or at least at that point, mm-hmm. you know, environment artists and level designers sat in different areas mm-hmm. uh, back then, uh, which was something that I tried to correct by the time I, I had left the, uh, the studio. Uh, but at that time, you know, I was building the library before there was even a level designer assigned to the level. 
mm-hmm. um, just based off of the notes that I'd received from either Jason or, or John. Um, so I don't imagine, I don't even know what the flood combat's going to be like. Um, right. Okay. And, it, and, you know, I just have big open sp- spaces with potential. And then maybe a month later into it, that's a great space. Can you introduce areas for monsters to be spawned? You know, right there and then. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lock the doors. Can you introduce a door? Things like that. And so now mm. I'm responding to Love Designer. But initially, you know, it's just my imagination. Just, just shot in the dark. Just shot in the dark. Interesting. And, and so, yeah. I imagine that caused a lot of rework. Yes. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why, you know, 10 years later, like the Love Designers and the <laughs> environment artists have to actually be teamed up mm-hmm. during pre-visualization. Because it used to be environment artists were pre-visiting uh, the game. Based on what concept art? Concept art, yeah. Whereas the LDs were maybe they're working on some sort of DLC or they're prototyping new game systems. Mm-hmm. But the level is the environment team is creating all these, uh, all this concept art and concept modeling for the levels without very much at times. Sometimes we had some more than others uh, without the level design team's uh, input, which is not great. Mm-hmm. But by the time you know we're rolling on to pre-production for Destiny, you had we had yoked a lead environment artist and a, a lead uh, level designer together. Mm-hmm. And we stopped calling them level design and environment. I mean, they still existed as disciplines. Sure. We called them world teams. Oh, so they okay. had a new, a new uh, existence. And, and I've heard that phrase before, but I didn't know yeah. what that meant. Well, I, it was just an arbitrary term. that Sure, but I mean, so yeah. yeah. But it was like, it's not about level design. It's not about environment art. It's about that total experience. Mm-hmm. And together, like a married couple, this is the way I describe them, you're both going to pitch. And they did. <laughs> I mean, it's really incredible. Bungie has this really nice new studio. Till so shipping, they, do you part? Yeah, they have. Yes, <laughs> literally till you ship, do you part? Uh-huh. Um, they have a theater. They would go into the theater and they would pitch um, their hmm. ideas as a team. This is what our it, it, this in, uh, uh, comprises our ideas, both from an environmental perspective and from a gameplay. Well, perspective. it's good too because in that situation, the level designers could be like. Well, I want this. And the artist can say, well, maybe that's not possible, but this is what we can do. With Before it. There's, there's a need for like, oh, my God, I can't believe you actually pre and then went into phase A or B of mm-hmm. of uh, the of the geometry development prior to me really being able to sit down and envision not just at the high level, but like where the trigger volumes go. Mm-hmm. When is this story beat going to occur? Like they really get to think about that up front with the mm-hmm. environment artists, which were things that were happening on Even Reach. The pacing, that was know? happening on, on yeah. Halo 3 a little bit, but they were still physically separated. But by the time Destiny came around, they were actually sitting side by side Good. in the same areas. Yeah. So I know that Destiny doesn't have perfect level design even now because they're doing so many ambitious things with the networking and mm-hmm. with the reuse of, again, repetitious level design. They're mm-hmm. reusing combat spaces a lot in that particular... Um, I feel like Destiny, game. though, was built on the idea of repetition though really Mm -hmm. and it's funny because you know so i i found destiny quite enjoyable right um and one of the things i liked about it is you know back in the day i'd sit down with friends we'd play halo and we'd play the same levels over and over and over Mm -hmm. over again we didn't get anything for it we just enjoyed it so in destiny we do the exact same thing but we get something Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of something it's not much um and i've since i've stopped Mm -hmm. playing because he, for anyone, new, new games for anyone listening, and this is if anyone from the Destiny team <laughs> hears this, all right, I know you have matchmaking. You put me in teams for strikes all the time. Why no matchmaking for the raids or anything like that? I don't have friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I don't have to wait for real people that I know to get on and play a game. That's 
why I play games so I can just sit down and just play what I want when I want to play it. Mm -hmm. The fact that I have to go to a a third-party website from, you know, not actually run run by Bungie or anything and find a team and then, like, add them in and... Uh Just, just put me in a matchmaking mm-hmm. queue. I don't, I don't really care that a lot of times I get matched up with people that aren't good or whatever. I don't. It's still fun to play the game. So there's a whole slew of content I've never seen because mm. I just, I want just put me in a matchmaking right. queue. Maybe they have it now. I haven't played right. it in a while, so I've never played any of the DLC content or anything. As a result, so yeah, just take that <laughs> down. Just give me matchmaking. I'll come back to playing it because it was a really fun experience. But uh, kind of coming back away from that little rant slash tangent, the rest of the game I like. Don't hate me. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the repetition. I'm I'm a grinder, right? I like games where I can just grind because mm-hmm. I'm sick in the head or something. Um, but, yeah, so Destiny does have a bit of repetition because they were, you know, achieving so much. But I felt that it worked because it was kind of an entire game mechanic around – Repetition. I even told you, you told me about that before the game even came out. And I was like, cool, I like mm. the grind. You shouldn't, <laughs> say, you shouldn't let people know that I told you things before the game came out. Uh, I mean, you can leave that one in, but don't tell me. I meant <laughs> before before I took the game out of my car yeah, yeah, yeah. after purchasing yeah, right. it yeah. from the store, which I didn't even do. You gave yeah. me a copy of it, right, right. <laughs> yeah. which, which I paid for mm-hmm. with real money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adore, I can always redact that from the conversation. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I can, like, what did they talk about when they blanked all that destiny stuff? Nothing, out? Yeah. <laughs> nothing NDAable, yeah. anyway. But, uh, but yeah, so anyway, as you were going, but, but yeah, so the repetition level design can certainly work, mm-hmm. right? Well, um, I mean, look at League of Legends and our Heroes of the Storm. We love playing the same map mm-hmm. over and over again because we feel like we, we understand it and now we know how to master it. Um, well, games like that go beyond, but yeah, the map is just right. tangential, right? Right. Uh, well, that's like saying the ch- a chessboard right, is right, repetitious because right, right. the board is really, you know, right. secondary. And, so, I, and I suppose in a shooter, mm-hmm. the map can be like a chessboard that mm-hmm. it allows for you to do almost an infinite number of interesting things. And you learn your choke points, and but there, you can't use that as a crutch excuse look well what i designed was a chessboard did you really because it really doesn't <laughs> what feel you that got accurate. was a chessboard yeah. did you intend yeah. to make a chessboard right, right. that because, evolution because of your play. game isn't chess and it doesn't so it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> yeah. bode well um and i and i don't have the answer to that that's probably yeah. something i could make levels for the rest of my life and still not really put my finger on that's the right. the golden uh chashki or yeah. whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the secret to it all was of it. the red key all along <laughs> Every level must just have the red key. Yeah. No, there's so many principles. Everyone tells you what not to do in level design, but mm-hmm. I don't suppose there's so many like, oh, by the way, do this, because mm-hmm. those rules never hold up yeah. or anything. I did notice a fun little thing. So, again, playing The Witcher, right, Witcher 3. Uh, uh, yes. I did notice a fun little level design bit in there. And something I really wouldn't have noticed until I actually studied level mm-hmm. design, and now I see it everywhere. I can't help it. But there's a lot of places where there's, like, ledges and walls and stuff like that. But anywhere that you see a ledge that has a white stripe at the top that kind of looks like bird poop or whatever, uh, just white mud uh, or whatever, uh, yeah. it's climbable. Uh, and it's a visual cue. People yeah. always go to the lighter areas. Yeah. They always say if you have a cave uh-huh. and you want to tell the players to step on a spot to avoid a trap, put like back crap guano uh-huh. on the floor or something white mm-hmm. or light gray, the players will just instinctively stand there. <laughs> it's just human <laughs> nature to be like, that spot is lighter than the rest. Uh-huh. I'm going to go stand on uh-huh. it. And... Um, the Witcher does it. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, how do I know where to climb up? And I started looking around. I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
I can see these white lines uh-huh. on these ledges. I can climb those, uh-huh. and the other ones I can't. Okay. And there you go. Yeah, right? Right. Yeah, Another so one was, of the subtle visual cues in the mm-hmm. environment. Yep. They'll teach you and I'd been using it the whole time, but until I actually sat there and was like looking mm-hmm. for it, I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. there it is. You know, you mentioned uh, level design a couple times, or more than a couple times, and I think it uh, behooves us to actually talk about level design as a discipline because I find it's one of the biggest misconceptions amongst at least the students mm-hmm. that we've had in common that they don't get that level design and game programming and game art are distinct phases of development and in mm-hmm. fact in many cases different roles mm-hmm. so um from my experience level design is a technically uh, focused discipline where you need to understand scripting in a in a simple highly symbolic language that might be similar to, like a Lua or something. Yeah, something yeah. like Lua or it might be C-like in its uh, structure. Mm-hmm. But it's simple stuff like if this trigger volume contains the player, do this kind mm-hmm. of uh, stuff. Uh, not unlike scripting in Unity mm-hmm. um, or even uh, Game Maker for, for that Any example. scripting, really, yeah. yeah. But then they do work very closely with art assets, often taking finished art assets and, and placing pl- them and, placing them mm-hmm. and maybe tweaking... Uh, collision boxes or scale to suit their gameplay needs. Mm-hmm. But um, the artists were responsible for all that setup, like that it even has a scale, mm-hmm. that it has a collision box. All those things are things that artists are, are supposed to do and give to the level designer. And that's funny because you, when you start talking about level design, you approach it from a technical, like these are the things you need to do. These, mm-hmm. are, And I, I always talk about level design as an academic pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of approach it the other way. It's more about understanding, to me anyway, it's more about understanding people. What will they be mm-hmm. attracted to naturally? What will, you know, so like let's study, let's study the era pieces of history. Uh, I'm making a game about the Aztecs. Well, let's look at all the different metals they had and the types of clay that, like let's, let's forget about games mm-hmm. for a second. Let's study them and let's let's look at human psychology. And that, you know, and, and then at some point I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to have to actually put this and make uh, these art assets right, and stuff and put right, them in, in, right. in an engine or, or make our game in our own engine or whatever. And um, so it's funny. I kind of think about level design from an, an opposite approach where you start off with like, okay, like how long do I want this level to feel, you know, to be? Mm-hmm. Do I want the player to feel claustrophobic? Do mm-hmm. I want the player to feel empowered and free? What emotions does this is this level supposed to do? Like, And then I start thinking mm-hmm. about like, okay, so now let's gray box it. Okay. Now let's build our, you know, and I mean they're, I'm sure it's it. There are two sides of the exact right, same thing, right. but it's just funny when you start thinking about it. We start on the right, opposite right. sides of the process. Right. I'm thinking about it in terms of when this uh, person has landed their first position mm-hmm. at the studio and how are they being brought up. They're probably going to be given a plan, yeah. and it's all the stuff that you're talking about, yeah. which may not be actually a level designer who conceived of. Uh, it's the art director working with the project lead and the lead designer. Mm-hmm. Lead designer's position is, yes, I am in charge of all the levels, but I'm also in charge of the story overall. I'm in so many things. So yeah. many different things. Mm-hmm. And what I want is to evoke this feeling for this amount of time, and I want the weapon ramp and the character ramp to be like this. But the level designer gets all that predefined. Oh, here's my packet. Mm-hmm. I have to think about the encounters. Mm-hmm. I have to think about all those technical problems. How do I make this work? But it's been basically prescribed for me yeah. what that content is. So for me, professionally, it's been working with those guys. Who thought, well, I got this program that I've got to fulfill. Mm-hmm. That we are on a planet that, that has farmers that are being overrun by a race of aliens wasn't up to me. Mm-hmm. 
that they have these types of architecture is something I'm going to work against because it doesn't work with my gameplay mm-hmm. or it does and I'm going to exploit it in these ways. That's a conversation we can have. But the overall theme of what kind of livestock were they raising? What kind right. Of and I didn't mean that. I just yeah. meant for this specific level. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, sure, you know, it's a tropical this. Or, yeah. But I mean, even like, OK, at this point in my level, what's the player supposed to feel mm-hmm. like, you know, like. And it kind of comes back to when you're talking about the two environment artists and level designers mm-hmm. are separate. And what happens if a level designer looks at a piece of – or a level pacing or gray box and mm-hmm. says, this room would be perfect for this ambush. Mm-hmm. But then looks at it and says, but it's only like 10 steps away from this other thing. Right. So, well, we got to separate. And so right. the environment artist has to go back and right. redo all that work. Right. So to me, it's that study of like where do I put these encounters? What's right. the economy? What's right. the difficulty right. curve and stuff right. like that? Right. And um, it's important that you mention – yeah. The time to do that correction is in the, what you call the gray box, mm-hmm. or um, at visceral they would call it the um, phase A geometry, or shortly thereafter, um, and that uh, bungee would be a, what they call the mass out. Okay. The very earliest uh, version of the geometry where you can put a player character on it, and it, does, and it doesn't fall through the geometry. You're mm-hmm. actually, so you can gauge uh, scale, mm-hmm. and um, at bungee for a very long time, uh, there was a, a level design I guess you call it Bible or a guide mm-hmm. document mm-hmm. that all environment artists were to read and understand. These, this how is the book. Taller doors, how, yeah. Those are called metrics. And yeah. yes, there, there could be those practical things. Mm-hmm. But we're also talking about concepts of things like uh, what we would call an AI blind. Mm-hmm. A way for the player to lose the AI so that the AI is now forced to say, I have lost sight of the enemy. Now what do I do? Right. Do I stay here? Do I try to outflank? Do I try to predict where the player is going to go? Depends on your AI system, right? Do I look down at my buddy with an arrow at his head and go, oh, it must be my imagination. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, so you use that. Um, is there a killing ground where uh, there's this open space where either you or I step into it and we're open to fire? Mm-hmm. Do I have a, pow- a space of power? Do you have a space of power? Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have vertical gameplay? Um you know, even How does that play like, in the challenge yeah, rating? Yeah, it's like, where is the camera relative to the head of the character? Mm-hmm. That's important. If you, if you oh, camera's caref- its own discipline yeah, in If you itself. carefully watch a replay of a, maybe not in Halo 4, but earlier Halo games, you'll notice that the projectile doesn't actually come out of the tip of the gun. It comes out of the face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because that's where the camera is. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that the players don't feel cheated. Like, my shot missed. Missed. Why? But- it's because... Where you put the reticles, where the camera was coming from, and so that's where uh-huh. your bullet's coming out of. There's, I actually have a video on YouTube about yeah. how to fake that yeah. effect and still make the bullet uh, come yeah. from. Yeah. yeah, And the other th- reason um, why uh, why the Master Chief feels so tall is that I believe the camera's even placed even... Well, I he could is. Be totally He's like wrong. nine feet tall. You know, I could be wrong about this, but I believe that we artificially tipped the camera even higher so it's closer to the very top of his head mm-hmm. as opposed to normal eyesight like a little baseball cap. because you hate to poke your head above cover and, and still, get blown off and get, yeah like, why did i get <laughs> headshotted i didn't see the enemy yet you have to be able to see the enemy then uh-huh. you get headshotted and they're like okay but yeah, a hard fair. a quote-unquote hardcore gamer would be like that's bs yeah if yeah so <laughs> i if i'm not mistaken uh-huh. there was at least one iteration if not more iterations of halo where um the camera was placed unrealistically so sure. to speak relative to the it's all an illusion eye. anyway, yeah. 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 But whatever you can do for gameplay. Yeah. Well, I feel maybe we should move on. Yeah, we have another on. topic yeah. and we're actually yeah. <laughs> going a bit over on time. And, uh, you know. We weren't even supposed to be talking. Well, we were supposed to be talking about the library or something like that. Oh, like yeah. 10 minutes or something. Right. <laughs> right. 
Um, all right. So another topic, uh, again, another uh, thing you had brought up to me um, was this whole uh, evolution and motion uh, of, of industry towards uh, mobile platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that mean for the industry? What is that? Is it a is it a, is it the death knell of the console age? What was as a reinforce like? And so you know you have you actually have notes. Yeah, so yeah. Well, I'll I figure. just took a few bullet points to, yeah, to make so. sure that we keep our arguments clear and we at least hit some of the important things. Now, what brought up this whole conversation between us was that Konami has just recently right. uh, sent out some press releases or announcements that oh those press releases yeah, that I think are striking people as oh this is you basically saying you're dropping console maybe mm-hmm. not today but it's in your future too. Yeah, I didn't to read those. What, what kind of what was the con- did you get that impression reading it? Yeah, or? well the impression I got was that Konami is saying due to the nature of our business it's become clear that um, we're going to be mobile first. They're not mm. saying no console. What they're saying sure. is where uh, the profitability um, of our uh, studio is coming from the mobile side, mm-hmm. not from the, the console side sure. anymore. So, all right. At least the press release wasn't titled like, we're going to ditch console. So. No, no. But there have been some news like uh, where I think, you know, big name designers are. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, so. is, I mean, Mobile, I don't want to say mobile is easier. That's giving the wrong impression. That's not what I mean. But mobile takes smaller teams, right? Um, Since mobile doesn't have the processing power of consoles or or PC or whatever, um, you can get away with with scaled down assets and stuff. Um, That's not to say that that isn't made up for the massive amount of time it takes. For like engineers and stuff to get something to run on a mobile platform, mm-hmm. you know that's that's any amount of aggressive mm-hmm. or whatever. So uh, I'm not saying that mobile is easy. It's just a completely different beast. And so, you know, you've got companies who have gone to mobile and have been successful. And you you got to imagine a lot of these people are looking at that. I mean, obviously the the biggest and most easiest thing to bring up is Hearthstone from Blizzard, mm-hmm. right? You know, Blizzard makes Hearthstone. Um, I have not seen actual financial numbers, but I know uh, from things I'm not allowed to talk about <laughs> that it's doing very, very well. Um, and it's a, it's a great game, and it's certainly niche, and it's certainly set up in a very specific way to work with mobile devices and stuff, so it's not a console ty- type mm-hmm. of game. It's just a different beast. And I know the team for that has been a bit smaller and stuff, and so you've got to have these other companies saying, okay, well, maybe we can do mm-hmm. that. Maybe we, you know, the market being what it is, it's so very hard to to produce a game that makes a lot of money, even if you on paper make a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, you're not discounting, you know, publisher fees, you know, salaries, uh, benefits. I mean, so all this capital, all this overhead, mm-hmm. right? And so if you think, you know, if I can keep those numbers but pad them with a successful mobile title, you know, why wouldn't you, mm-hmm. right? And so, no, I, you know, I don't know if people are thinking too much into Konami or what your opinion of that is. Well, I think it it is it does make a lot of sense mm-hmm. to to make that shift. In fact, it was something tangentially uh, referenced in one of the blogs uh, posting this I put up uh, last year in June of last year. Uh, it was a blog post: "Does your studio have a future? Look at the business cycle." Mm-hmm. And in it, I created a graphic for people to look at, which talks about generations and how things move over. And there's a graph that I made. It was just a made-up graph, but it's based off of. Oh, it looked great too. Yeah. It was a great graph. Would you make that in <laughs> <Yeah>. Paint? <laughs> Actually, in Excel. <laughs> 
But I talked about, you know, Mac PC over to console. And then the last and upswinging business cycle was mobile. Mm-hmm. I mean, people were seeing this all, well before this Konami sure. announcement. I even saw it. And I'm mm-hmm. not actively practicing in the industry right now. But I knew that mobile has to be the next big upswing. in our, The market in our saturation is like nearly 100%. Right. right. <laughs> right. I mean, you if know. you look at um, a retail console game in 1982, retail for about $38. dollars mm-hmm. If you look at inflation, that makes it about $94 to $97 mm-hmm. today. So imagine going into a Best Buy or GameStop or an Amazon and seeing that the retail price for your Witcher 3 was $97 mm-hmm. for the basic version of the game. Yeah. I think people are like, no way, I'm not paying $100. I'd still buy it, but I'm You would, but you're a working professional, right? Exactly. But kids asking for Christmas, they would say, no right. way, no way, I'm not That's paying That's a 33% that. hike. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but hey, people were paying that for the t- Atari Twenty Six Hundred version of Pac Man. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a version of the game that's vastly inferior to the arcade equivalent. Mm-hmm. It only took six weeks to make that cart, you right. know, to design it and start printing them. Um, but they were able to charge the, almost the equivalent of a hundred bucks a pop, and they and they sold it like seven million copies. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, in nineteen during the boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When there was like like not a lot of American families could afford a console, were into video games. They still sold 7 million copies yeah. of Pac-Man. Yeah. Pac-Man fever was huge. Okay, But they could do that with lots of games mm-hmm. well, sold in, in that volume for Atari. And at that point, it was just a port. Right. I mean, the development costs were right. done. But the huge argument for my generation growing up in the in mm-hmm. 70s and 80s was why consoles require you to upfront buy a several hundred dollar Machine. machine, yeah, and then on top of that, at the equivalent of a hundred bucks a pop, another game, which is a really poor ripoff of what we can play in the arcades for a quarter. Yeah, and at the arcades, it's honest. If I want to play, I pay, mm-hmm. and I just pay however much I want. It would to take play. a lot of games to make up your cost. Yeah, and it was, and it was high quality um, mm-hmm. uh, experience, and the whole world got to see your high score. Mm-hmm. Everybody, not just your friends who could come to your house, but your whole entire school, your schoolmates, whoever random. That was could come the, and see at the time, equivalence of what we call the e-penis, right? Like, look at me. Look how cool yeah. and awesome I am. Look yeah. at me, world. Yeah. It's the World of Warcraft giant shoulder yeah. pads, only yeah. in arcade form. So when consoles were, like, coming up, people were like, they're awesome. They're cool. Just like we think of our cell phones are, is awesome and cool. Mm-hmm. Tablets are cool. But the game, like, but seriously, like, you think this is going to challenge the arcade? You're mm-hmm. kidding me. We've got Dragon's Lair. Sure, it costs 50 cents a pop to play, but come on. The uh, the (laughs) console will never, ever Mm -hmm. defeat the king of gaming, which is arcade. Ten years later, where's the arcade? They they disappeared. The consoles are on the... uh, Actually, the consoles disappeared for a little while, too. Yeah. But when Nintendo revived it, I mean... It's because you can't go to the arcade in your underwear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you hit on an interesting point. It's a Tell lot more. I it's did. A, yeah, it's a lot more convenient to play oh, sure, on your right. couch in your underwear. Right. And sure, yeah, it was three hundred bucks to buy your console and uh, and thirty eight bucks a pop for the games, but you could have three to eight kids at Thanksgiving in front of a twenty inch color TV in the den or in the basement, and they were quiet. You can't put a price on peace. Yeah. No. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Good value proposition. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, don't even have to go to to Disneyland anymore. Just buy them a couple of games. They're happy all summer. Yeah. 
and it's more convenient. They can play in their pajamas, and I can play it in my underwear. Yeah. Compare that now to mobile. I can be on the crapper and play a game. <laughs> can we say crapper? I'm yeah. I don't even have to have my underwear on anymore and can yeah. play a video game. Sure. And the cost is cheap. It's free to a dollar. Well, and it's with you wherever. Yeah. It's like, oh, I went to the store, and my you know, my order's not ready yet. Yeah. Well, mobile Where's game. With, yeah. yeah. Whereas with a console, I have to buy a dedicated machine. Well, I already need a cell phone in my life. Mm-hmm. So I already have the platform. So I think it just lowered the barrier to entry to becoming a mobile player is just so much lower. So with that in mind, something that I've been saying for years is that Nintendo mm-hmm. is going to enter the mobile market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, either people agree, people don't, whatever. You know, ever it, it's no secret that the Wii U is not doing great. The mm-hmm. Wii was cool. I liked mm-hmm. it. I went to the midnight, waited in line till 8 in the morning, whatever. And the Wii was fun and, and completely new and all that stuff. The Wii U, not so great. And, and you think of the value of Nintendo IPs and the fact that you have to have a Nintendo console to play them. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I would I'd literally buy a console, play the game, sell the console. I'm a huge Legend of Zelda fan, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Link Between Worlds came out. I bought a 3DS, played the game, mm-hmm. sold it, right? Mm-hmm. Because I really, I don't really care about Mario myself. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm Pokemon never got into it, okay. but Legend of Zelda, I love. Okay. So for a long time, I've just been saying, you know, that's the path Nintendo's going to take. Their their IPs are so much more valuable than their hardware, right? And so I don't know if you know this, but this year Nintendo announced that they are licensing to mobile mm-hmm. um i believe the company specifically i'm looking at the press release um you know i'm not going to say it just in case it's not public i think it's public but i'm not willing to risk it right here mm-hmm. um so look it up I'll, I'll post a link to it if, if it is public um then then you'll know the company that will be producing their stuff but um but at any rate um we're supposed to see the first nintendo ip by the end of this year on uh, android and ios and then four more by beginning of 2017, which doesn't seem like a lot. But uh, in, in the article specifically, it's all about quality, not quantity. Mm-hmm. Their IPs are already, you know, already well known. So let's produce some high quality stuff so that the the splash Nintendo makes mm-hmm. in the mobile market is big enough to perpetuate right. an entire generation mm-hmm. of this stuff. So obviously, Nintendo going to mobile. Right. And so then the idea is, well, are they ditching console? It's like this is the whole thing. Is mm-hmm. this the end of console? And well, first off, no, I don't think it can be. Console is such a very specific niche. I can't afford a high end PC. I want a better gaming, not mm-hmm. better gaming experience. That's the wrong way to say it because mobile can provide really mm-hmm. awesome gaming experience. But I want a more powerful, mm-hmm. more feature rich gaming mm-hmm. experience. So that's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want a console, right? So the console is going to stick around. But what is interesting, and I just read this article today, is that this is quote-unquote leaked information. It's, mm-hmm. It was published on, I believe, Kotaku. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is public. I'm not uh, leaking anything, but it is unofficial kind of leaked um, from a third-party company that was working very closely with Nintendo, stating that Nintendo's next console is going to run Android as an operating system. Hmm. So it's not going to be their own proprietary operating system. Um, I believe the next console is codenamed NX or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's going to run Android, which is going to, in theory, run mm-hmm. Android, which will greatly couple its console with its mobile offerings. So that opens the floodgate to all sorts of like, hey, if I have an Android game, can that be a Nintendo game? Mm-hmm. What uh, what kind of monetization is there? What amount of quality assurance is involved in that? So I don't 
think necessarily that the console market is dying and all these companies are going to mobile. It's so very much just kind of becoming the same thing. Right. That convergence, and it's funny, it's one of the bullet points that I've uh, Oh, I, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and you're, I think you're right. In this case where the arcade really drifted and became a very niche thing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you can still play. like For as social as it was, it was still disconnected. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you can still go to a Dave & Buster's and play Star Wars Battle Pods, which mm-hmm. I, I've been told, hey, I think we should go do that because I've heard it's awesome. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, to actually be in the Battle of Hoth or in the, uh, <laughs> down the trench. If you survived, I'm not sure I'd want to do that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you survived. It, it probably costs like $100 in tokens to get there. But probably, yeah. Um, but, uh, Anyways, the idea of media convergence actually was an idea uh, put out there. Um, in fact, I think it was one of our one of our many topics of conversations driving to some event was about how uh, I learned in Communications 101 in the mid-90s that all communications were going to converge uh, and that the theory was that it was going to be on the computer, but they weren't sure how. But somehow, radio, television, print, and... Uh, Podcasts. Yeah. Well, they didn't know, there was no such thing as a podcast. Yeah, yeah, you're right, right. We're going to uh, become part of a, a what they call a, a global village. Okay. Somehow this was going to happen. It mm-hmm. was going to be through uh, the computer and this, uh, they weren't sure how. The browser had yet to be invented. Um, and sure In the 90s, browser wasn't invented? Browser came out like 96 or 97. So I'm talking okay. like I'm talking like 1993, 1994. Oh sure, okay. HTML yeah, yeah. did exist. I remember mm-hmm. going to engineering class and having fellow engineers saying like, "Oh, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. Let me show you how this works." And I just and I like I was amazed. It was a hyperlink. Sure. And I would like we we're talking about stress and strain of metals. Mm-hmm. Uh, my background's in structural engineering, and so, and then we were learning how to program 2D analysis. And you said, "Oh, just click on this, and I'll give you the definition and show you the formulas." I was like. Wow. Mind blown. Like, this is a book where I don't have to read the appendix. The appendix is written into the body of the text. <laughs> this is amazing. This um, is the future. Yeah, the future. I didn't mean to pull you yeah. so far away from your topic. Yeah, anyways, <laughs> well, that was the kind of, that was the, er, like, so this is the era of, like, convergence. Like, mm-hmm. you mean information can be melted into one, yeah, it's not just text. It's now also an image next to the text. And that tech, that image could also animate. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it could actually be video, and, and it's and all, audio. And audio. Now, back then, bandwidth was an issue, so they weren't. Really, was it realistic to expect that rich of a media experience all in one that wasn't pre-written to a CD? Even CDs, it's the media is fixed. I want news. How do I put news on a CD and then mm-hmm. like distribute it fast enough? Um, so, anyways, three years later, the browser comes out, and then the rest is history. I wonder if the person who originally thought of this convergence of data. Ever imagined that that would be used for websites like Hamster Dance? <laughs> what are you just sitting right. there waiting for all yeah. the hamster right. to load? Right. And right. then the music starts up. Hamster Dance <laughs> came out just shortly thereafter, right? I think Hamster Dance was like circa 1998. Is, yeah, crowning achievement yeah, in right. human evolution. Or, or um, <laughs> I Kiss You. Uh, remember that guy? Uh-uh. Oh, he was some, I kiss you? He was some Turkish guy. He was trying to, he was super friendly. He's like, I kiss you. Oh, uh, no, I'll have to look that one uh, up. All your base are belong to us. Well, of course, yeah. Cats. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, that was um, that actually ended up being like this email virus that went around Microsoft when we were just acquired. Bungie was just acquired by Microsoft, moved to our new offices. And that's when we threw up our hands. Oh, my God, being part of Microsoft was such a bad mistake because we would get like 400 all your base or belong to us emails a day because Microsoft was just constantly getting pounded. I mean, that's why um, spam protection is so good in Outlook now is because, man, Microsoft, Microsoft got, got sick constant, of all your base. Constant, constant barrages of 
um, spam. Well, you know, so again, talking about this convergence, especially as it relates to video games, I remember, uh, so I just got my Xbox One, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm playing Dead Rising 3. Mm -hmm. And fantastic game. If you've never played it, check it out. I mean, it's... It's It's Capcom, right? It's Capcom, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so much fun. But I'm standing on, like, the top of this car. I had broken my last weapon. I wasn't paying attention. Like, so I just have, like, just me now. And I'm on top of this car, and just a sea of zombies. And if you played Dead Rising 1 or 2, Dead Rising 1, there were, like, 10 to 15 zombies. Dead Rising 2, like, maybe, you know, a little bit more than that. But with the the power of the next-gen console, Dead Rising 3, like, as far as the eye can see, like, zombies, mm-hmm. you know? And they're all coming at you and swarming you. And so I pull out my cell phone. And I open mm-hmm. up the Dead Rising app, and I call an airstrike from my <laughs> cell phone, mm-hmm. and a plane in the game mm-hmm. flies and drops an air bomb, you know, blows a path, and I get out of there, right? And my wife is watching me, and she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, my phone will ring, and a character from the game calls me on my phone, uh-huh. and it's like, and it's, you know, obviously it's not, yeah. it's a recorded thing, yeah, whatever, yeah. it's part of the game. But, like, at that point, the phone became just an extension of the yeah, experience yeah. and it was like oh i need something let me pull up my yeah. phone and let me request it my phone and here it is in the right. game and and at that point it was just like okay so i mean it's gimmicky and right. i've not actually played a game that since that's used yeah. it but it was still kind of it was, it was one of those moments when like Psycho Manus moves the the controller in metal gear <laughs> yes, solid uh-huh, right. and you're like what yeah, yeah. was that uh-huh. Oh my, I'd never, I like, I knew the game could vibrate my You're, controller, but I never in a million years. You might want to give some people background, because this is like a PlayStation 1 or one. 2. Yeah, 1. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't know. No, what look it up. Just, okay. look, just look up. Okay. For those, for those kiddies in the audience, <laughs> uh, and anyone who didn't play PlayStation 1 a lot, uh, just do a Google search, Psycho Mantis, Moves Controller, Metal Gear Solid, uh, just my, or Psycho Mantis Controller, just... Mantis, like the bug, right? Yeah, Psycho Mantis. That was his name. He was a villain, and he was the strongest telepath in the world. He would read your memory card, so he'd be say things like... Well, now you're giving it away. <laughs> just, I mean, because it was different yeah, based yeah. on your habit. So yeah, okay. um, he'd be like, oh, I can see that you save your game often. And he's like, now I'll show how I control you with the sheer power of my mind, and your controller starts vibrating. And it was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God. And, the, and you would shoot at him, and he would just dodge every bullet. Mm-hmm. You had to p- unplug your controller and plug it into the second player mm-hmm. slot so he couldn't read your mind anymore. <laughs> to be, so, like, that moment was like, whoa. Like, yeah. we're yeah. in a new territory here. Right. And then again, I mean, I haven't had that experience until much later calling down an airstrike for mm-hmm. my phone. Right. It was like, okay, this is new Mm -hmm. this and it may not be directly applicable to to a bunch of games but it shows that ingenuity is alive and that that multiple devices and the power of networking and the internet means that even a game itself isn't just a game anymore Mm -hmm. it's an experience that can be tied into so many things so when konami says hey we're getting into mobile experiences all i'm thinking is we're going to have another Psycho Manus mm-hmm. moment because Konami mm-hmm. makes Metal Gear mm-hmm. Solid. Konami made the Psycho Manus moment that, mm-hmm. I, that I remember so well. And and I kid you not, I was in at my buddy Andrew's house, you know, playing this game like four in the morning in his bedroom and Psycho Manus moves that controller and we lost our shit. <laughs> and uh, it was like, whoa. And so, yeah, I mean, I think this, this movement to mobile um, – Really isn't is again this whole convergence mm-hmm. thing? I I think we're just gonna see some cool stuff. Whether or not it can be monetized, I don't know. But 
it's going to be cool anyway. Right. Well, the Wii U is trying something technologically with the the, the small tablet. Everyone right, is. Right. Like, yeah. Right. But the Destiny companion app. There's lots of games with companion mm-hmm. apps now. But convergence can also mean, like what you're talking about, where uh, the operating system of the game console has the, or in this particular case, a specific executable or specific right. app game has the ability to communicate with your um, mobile device. But when you think about like what uh, Microsoft just announced with Windows 10, yeah, I was thinking the that, same thing. That's exact. That that is the culmination. The console may not die specifically, but it doesn't exist as itself anymore. It becomes just one it cannot, facet. Yeah, of the it beast. cannot survive. It wouldn't be worth having just the console. It's mm-hmm. worth having as part of a total converged ecosystem. My phone. My television experience, my PC experience yeah. are all the same. That's the reason I picked an Xbox One over a PlayStation 4. Besides the fact that I really prefer the mm-hmm. Xbox One controller, is that I have a PC, and I really wanted to see what kind of tethering they'll have. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that Cortana is the new voice system in <laughs> right. the Microsoft devices, which I don't have to tell you. Like I'm su- I just want to talk to Cortana <laughs> like I, all day long. But uh, I just think that would be super cool. But yeah, Microsoft claims it's going to work. Um, I was just at a thing in San Francisco, Microsoft Evangelist there, talking about it. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Only people talked about it. So I'm wary. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure they can do it. But at the same time, I've been sure a lot of people can do it. So that's one of those things like I can't wait to actually see uh-huh. it and prove that it's real. Um, I mean, Sony with the, the PlayStation 3 and the Vita and sharing gameplay worked. But even though it worked, it wasn't a compelling reason to do it, you know, uh, the Wii U where you can play the game off the console, but just on the tablet mm-hmm. screen. Again, who really does that? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people try to do so once someone can actually bottle like a real legitimate reason to do that, mm-hmm. that's when it's going to get exciting. And maybe Microsoft does it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. We are running out of time. Oh, okay. Did you have any other notes you wanted well, to toss onto no, the subject? So that, the idea of like that, that hits the bullet point of where do we go from here, which mm-hmm. is, well, the console will survive probably in some form, but it's in a converged uh, sense where mm-hmm. we stop thinking about, I got an Xbox One. You just think, I have... A I dumb guess, terminal that's going to yeah, play. I have the Windows experience, I guess. You know, like, I play my games on the Windows platform, which is everywhere. It's and we already phone, see so that console. coming with the Steam OS yeah. and Steam Boxes, yeah. which are basically right. just a console continuation of your already existing computer library of games. Right. Um, so you just add... A Steam phone. I don't know. Valve ever makes yep. phones? Then, <laughs> then it's complete there. Right. Um, but or the equivalent for Microsoft or whatever, where it's this tri- trifecta. Right. Right. So I think Microsoft actually had an interesting notion with the Xbox One's original vision. Mm-hmm. They just really misdelivered on their messaging, I guess, because the consumers it was a, read it yeah. the wrong way. Whereas I believe the PlayStation method of it's it's dedicated games machine. Well, guess what? Then it's part of a dying ecosystem where the cost of producing dedicated devices that that dead rising, don't work anymore i don't right. carry a camera because my phone has one kind of deal right, you know right. but it's like that dead rising example you just gave where from generation one of dead rising to two to three the number of zombies increased but i bet you the engineering effort it took to get from 10 to 100 to thousands it was massive mm. but the overall gameplay mechanic of i evade zombies is still the same mm-hmm. So the, I granted on a visceral level, it feels uh, it feels more threatening to run from a sea of zombies than say maybe one. Mm. But that overall mortal threat of there's a zombie going to eat my brain is still the same mm. across all three. Sure. 
but the cost of engineering and of hardware to make that last experience is so much higher. Mm -hmm. And yet the overall appeal of the product is still the same. So can you really be profitable in a consumer market where, hey, if it's on console, I want to have thousands of zombies or go home. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't deliver that product anymore because it costs me too much versus console where I can produce something much more modest in scale and have a better chance of being profitable. I should do that. Mm -hmm. If I only have $10 to spend, I'll spend it on that bet where I can make more money more quickly, more safely. Um, so that's why I think why console has to become part of this other ecosystem. It mm -hmm. cannot survive on its own. So that's just becomes an accessory to the gaming experience yeah. at yes, that point, yes. as opposed to the center, as of opposed the to being experience. the center, yeah. which is, and the only point we haven't covered that I'd like to cover is we confuse AAA gaming with console gaming now. Oh, should, I think that should be a topic for yeah. that because we can go on okay. a long time on that one. Right, because I think people <laughs> are saying AAA gaming is under threat now. Well, no, just because Konami is going mobile doesn't mean AAA gaming is going mobile. Yeah. Just because EA said mobile is an equal part of our strategy as to AAA gaming doesn't mean AAA gaming. Well, let's, sorry, let's cliff gaming. note it real yeah. quick here, right. and then we'll do a okay. deep conversation okay. about it next time. So that... I think people confuse the terms console gaming and AAA gaming because they have been conflated for so long mm -hmm. that if for a long time it's been the only safe place to put in the big budget has been on the console for at least the last two generations. So now people think the two are the same. It's just easier to do the market research. You know yeah. how many people bought the console. You know how what percentage are genre fans. Yeah. You know exactly what hard they, if they're on Xbox Live or PlayStation Network, you can read. You know how long they're gauging software, mm -hmm. where they're getting lost, all that stuff. Uh, it's a closed ecosystem. It's harder to pirate. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. All that right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Competitive multiplayer. You can't make your own network and play across the internet. So, well, at least not in, unless you're in China, because I, I know in China you can play Halo. Uh, you could play Halo without uh, Xbox Live because people told me they could. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, topic for another conversation. But uh, related to does mobile gaming threaten console or end console gaming? Yeah. Well, all right. Cool. Um we still have like two topics on the list. We're just not going to oh, get yeah, to this yeah, week. So, yeah, okay. oh, man. Long. So anyway, um, that's going to, I guess, wrap up episode two. We've now doubled our <laughs> episode <laughs> count. Yes. So for the 50 of you that listened to the first one, um, we got more for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, once again, I am Mike Geig. And I'm Mike Wu. It's, oh, it's also probably a good idea to say that uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Mike Geig. And you can reach me at Rear Admiral, all one word. Yeah, and I will Twitter. also put that on the webpage when I link this. And, uh, yeah, uh, so any uh, comments, feedback, criticism, uh, hate mail, fan mail, <laughs> questions, whatever, feel free to message us on Twitter. Uh, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the show, and thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.